Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer, Phil S.J., and joining me as always, two guys who had a Freaky Friday-type reversal on their travels this week. It is Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Unfortunately, this week, we are very short on time, so no small talk. Let's get right to the basketball. Uh, since we last recorded, the Spartans have had two basketball games. On Saturday, they played Michigan, a very comfortable 83, well, comfortable, maybe not their word, but a 83-67 win over the Wolverines at home, and then they traveled to Maryland on Tuesday, a very difficult and tough 65-63 win over Maryland. Uh, they might have been ugly, but uh, the Spartans get it done, and Graham, what's uh and we read your column about the point guard situation, but overall, what's kind of your take on how the Spartans kind of look over the past two days heading into uh, Saturday's game against Rutgers? They're, they're, they are all over the place, right? I mean, they, there are things that they did incredibly well against Michigan, and while I think that had some uh, some substance to it, even though it was kind of a feel-good home win, usually I just discount those games because you have four or five of them a year, and things go well, shots fall, you beat up on a team at home, and it really doesn't say anything. However, they had not had one of those. They had not shown the ability to have that spurt and put a team away and everything. So I thought that was significant. And then what you see against um, uh, sorry, Maryland is sort of the makings of some of the stuff that they did for a while against uh, Wisconsin, where you're, you're pulling ahead, you're getting a lead, you're doing some good stuff on the road. Uh, and, and then you, you have six empty possessions in the second half. Your point guards don't take care of you. Uh, you know, A.J. Hoggard, you know, is, is terrific one game, not great the next, terrific the next, not great. The, and that's sort of who you are. So who they are is, is continues to be who they are. And um, the good news for them in this one is you get out with a win. And I don't think, unlike maybe the Northwestern game where a loss was needed, I don't think they needed a loss. I, I think, you know, they know where they're flawed and you get a road win out of it. And you're 8-2 in the Big Ten. That's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, the biggest flaw right now, I mean, as much as turnovers have been an issue, I mean, they only had eight in that game, although they did have that right in the, the second half when when things started to unravel. They had another one of those clusters where a couple of turnovers went the other way for easy buckets for Maryland. But the bigger issue to me is the rebounding piece, and I asked Tom Izzo about that after the game too, uh, particularly allowing – uh, double-digit offensive boards for I think the fourth time in the last six games to an opponent. That's that's the antithesis of the program that Izzo has built, and he called it a joke uh, for what is happening. But I'm with you. I mean, they didn't need a loss there, but they, you know, I, I think what you saw in this game uh, against Maryland was the result of winning at Wisconsin. Uh, losing that close game at Illinois, there, there's a lot more resolve. And, and plus this, this whole last month, I mean, you know, I think this is also the fourth time in six games that they've had uh, a single possession win or excuse me, a single possession game. They won two and lost two. So they're starting to get a lot more battle tested. Um, you know, it helps to get that win now. 
Uh, now you got to take that back on the road to another tough gym uh, at the rack, which, you know, it, Rutgers is sneaky hard to play at. And Xfinity Center has been, and it was another T-shirt game. And, you know, the energy was there after the crowd finally got through D.C. traffic. Uh, but, it, you know, that's the thing I think you take most from this is they've got the resolve slowly building for these close games. Now they got to take it from, you know, winning two of four in, in one possession games to building on that and finishing teams off, like Izzo said. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think, you know, I mean, the, the, the Malik Hall development, first of all, they are a team that's poised. Like, they don't they don't get rattled. That's not their issue. It's not like, uh-oh. Strange when you have a team committing so many turnovers, but they're not necessarily always the, you know, throw the ball away and play panic. I mean, it's the the, the illegal screens. It's it's the, the, the weird turnovers that aren't necessarily just throwing the ball all around. You're right. They, they are poised. Yeah, I mean, I think you said eight. I think they had 11 in this game, but it still was a low number for them. Um, and it just wasn't their largely their issue. And then the Malik Hall down the stretch deal, I think, has been a, been a big – I mean, you know, obviously against Illinois, they didn't play him enough. They didn't go to him enough. And then he was really good for a little while. But that was coming off the Wisconsin game when he was great as a go-to guy. And we're seeing that again. I think that's a really important development that's starting to carry over. The point guard thing is – you just got to get some consistency out of there. And they've got to have guys who, you know, I mean, look, they're at a certain place in their development. A lot of point guards at Michigan State have been in that place before. But like A.J. Hoggard, you're having empty possessions. At that point, I think they'd had four in a row, maybe five. I think it was four in a row. The the lead is dwindling. And he tries a lob that he throws three feet over Gabe Brown. Like, it's not even the missed yeah. lob that's the problem. It's the fact that you thought that was a decent idea right there. And, and and they've got to get those guys. They will not win big. And I don't know that it'll happen this year. I mean, this is part of, a, I think, a multi-year group. But they will not win big until um, Malik – sorry, until uh, those guys, A.J. Hoggard, uh, you know, they, that they understand time and place and, 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 and take care of them in key moments. And right there, you got to, it's, it's the old, you know, I remember my dad used to always say at certain point, it's concentrate time. Like this is a big possession, value it, you know, get a bucket. And, and they're, they're just, you know, and that's, I think that's a worry for Izzo with Hogart a little bit is the, he's got such a high ceiling. He thinks, I mean, he shows some real promise to be great. Um, but there are certain things that you worry about in terms of it factor and, and the ability to recognize situations that you, he wants them to grow into, and, and but you, you don't know for sure that they will. I think the one thing, uh, I, I kind of talked about this yesterday with someone, uh, what you've seen is kind of those two guys with Walker and Hogart, they're kind of out of step in a way. And I say that in that one game, it's Hogart that's playing really efficiently and well on Walker's not doing the things he needs to or turning the ball overs or being hesitant to shoot. And then the next game, you're seeing Hogarth throw those ridiculous passes or dribbling behind his back into traffic at the free throw line and getting it ripped from him for a turnover the other way and, and Walker hitting a three or driving downhill or using his defense. So what they really need, like you mentioned about the consistency, I think they need them both playing at the same time well. I don't know if we've seen that maybe one or two games this year where we've seen both of those guys playing their best 
20 minutes of basketball when they're splitting time at the point guard spot. And I mean, you look at the minutes over, I mean, I think the Michigan game, uh, Hogarth had more minutes than Walker in that one. And in this, in, in the Maryland game, it was Walker having more minutes than Hogarth. Nobody's really pulled away in that. And someone either needs to, to solidify themselves as the singular point guard and then give the other guy backup minutes down the stretch, or they need to just maximize what they've got. And, you know, I don't know if either one of them has, has fully reached their own capabilities in, in any game yet this year. Maybe Ho- probably the closest I would say that we've seen was the Hogard game against Michigan that is the closest to realizing what the potential of that position can be. I know the answer to this, but I'm going to throw it out here anyway. Uh, is there just a, no chance for Jay Nakins at this point to, to rise up, or is he just, you know, the another guy back there at this point? I mean, he's had fl- he's had flashes. At the point guard, yeah. Game? Can he not play? Can he not play? He's not. Guard? He's not, not no. this year. He's not going to be in that. And I don't think you know. And, and they may at some point in his career use him as a ball handler. And that may be is a guy who you know has NBA aspirations where that part of his career is eventually as he as he develops. Who knows? But um, I do not think that uh, they have. I mean, part of the reason you're seeing them play the two of them together. Uh, you know, Izzo mentioned this on on um, uh, Tuesday night. They're playing that they're playing Hogarth and, and and Walker together is is because he, he needs ball handling on the floor. Like it's not Gabe Brown's strength. Uh, even right. Aikings at this point, it's not his strength is is to that degree. And and so I mean, and and I would I would bet with those two in the program and and another one coming in the next year. Like that's not really where they see that developing and certainly not as a, I mean, those guys aren't bad. I mean, if you look at these two guys are fourth and fifth in, in assists in the entire big 10 and two for one on, uh, you know, two, they're both two to one assisted turnover guys, which isn't great, but it's not horrible. And I mean, I, I think if you just look at conference games, Hogard's second and Walker might be tied for fourth in assists. I mean, they're putting out huge numbers. If they were just one dude, they'd be dominating the league in that category. And so it's not like they're and they're eight and two and they're the team seventeen and four. It's problem because it's of their inconsistency. But you see the flashes there. I mean, you see both guys have moments where they're really good players already. My favorite moment in that game, and I don't know, favorites the most, but I thought one of the, the more interesting moments in that game was you know with about three minutes left and Hauser picks up his fourth foul and Bingham's got four and Marvel's got four and Izzo rolls out a lineup that has. Hogard, Walker, Aikens, um, uh, Malik Hall was at the five, and uh, I'm trying to remember, I think, was it Gabe Brown at the four? I mean, it was basically a, a four-guard lineup with Malik Hall, and they got burned for a three, which shouldn't happen. If you've got four guards out there, you should be able to check the perimeter, but that, they have they did not use that lineup at all this year, and the foul trouble really put them in, in that pinch, but... Um, that that's a total aside. I just I just you know because obviously you know you've got some you know some issues that in that game with the fouls. Uh, I think that from an Aiken standpoint, that's his thing is the defensive side right now. You don't want to put too much emphasis and too much uh, weight on on a freshman to to provide some some other things that aren't necessarily his skill set right now with with the ball handling and i mean those two like graham said those two guys are fine 
it's it's about the decision making more than anything with them. Yeah, Chris, you touched upon this uh, earlier in the podcast about the rebounding, and you wrote a nice story about that coming off the game. And you also wrote what I thought was a really good piece on Malik Hall, and it really just and he had that said that game winning basket versus uh, Maryland, and he really just seems to be coming together. Ever since uh, I think there was the the call for more from him, oh uh, maybe ten, eleven, twelve days ago, he's really seemed to respond in, in some respects. Yeah, and I thought that was a, a you know a moment coming off off of the Illinois game where he missed the front end of the free throw, the two free throws, and then made the one he didn't he didn't want to make. Uh, but they're not in that position to even send the game to overtime if he's not aggressive and taking the ball to the basket off the bounce and, and drawing the contact that he did. So I, I think that that's a big thing. I mean, he's become more consistent. Uh, he's you know if you watch right now, he's their best out shoot, outside shooting option without a question. And Gabe Brown is mired in a funk. Uh, Walker's hesitant to shoot. Uh, I think, and Max Christie has been up and down, even though he's probably their best shooter, Christie, that is. Um, Malik Hall is their best outside shooting option right now. And, you know, he's not taken a lot. He's been really efficient with the ones he has taken. He, he gets into the paint. He, he creates on offense. He defends on defense multiple positions. Uh, and he played Thomas. I said, he's my captain. He's our captain. That's how he's playing right now. And they need that. That's the leadership that they need because right now, you know, is, is, even though he's sharing the captain role with Gabe Brown, Gabe Brown's in his own head and Gabe Brown, you can see it every time he misses a shot and the shots looking funkier and funkier. It's almost like a, a regression to, to sophomore year, Gabe Brown with a shot a little bit, uh, just the mechanics of it. Uh, but he's in his own head, and Malik Hall right now is really kind of being the guiding factor for this team. We've got, got Rutgers. Michigan State has Rutgers on a Saturday. What kind of Spartan team do you expect to see there? We're going to see the one that struggled versus uh, Maryland or the team that uh, blew out Michigan? It, it seems to be a, <laughs> this team is, like we talked about, really up and down, you know, game to game, week to week. They're still also opponent dependent in that sense. And, yeah. and Rutgers is, can make a lot of teams not look great there. They tend to often at home play really well, low-scoring games that they, they make ugly defensively. And it's a hard they, – they've got a number of veterans. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that it it's going to be a tough – I mean, it's a tough place to win, the rack. If MSU wins there, then to me there's just nothing to be disappointed in. If you go on the road in the Big Ten most of the time – now, Maryland, the, the difference is they had a 15-point lead – and they let that go, and it wasn't like they let that go because Maryland just got hot. They let that go because of their own empty possessions. Whereas with with, with Rutgers, I, I, I mean, I, I would be stunned if they take a fifteen point lead in this game. And and I think you know it, it it's going to take all the grit they have. I think a one in one week going in would have been pretty good. If they come out of it two and zero, oh, they'll be thrilled. Um, you know, the, the things you want to grow on is you want to keep seeing Malik Hall play well. You want to get back. You know, Max Christie did not touch the ball or take enough shots. And all the stuff they did with him against Michigan, they got away from uh, in the last game. He's got to be a bigger part of things early. He can't be standing in corners. You see him get frustrated with that. You know, Gabe Brown would be a, a good guy to get going against. So there are lots of things, you, you know, that would would make a difference. And, and um, you know, Marcus Bingham needs to keep, you know, Izzo wasn't thrilled with Bingham. Um, now Bingham hit two threes and Izzo didn't hate the threes because they were catch and shoot threes. Um, but 
you know, he, he said that doesn't mean he played well. Bingham <laughs> like, hits threes has nothing to do with how he played. And and then he took one three or one jumper in the corner that Hauser should not have thrown in the pass. That, that should have wound up with him. And then he should have taken that 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 jumper there when he could have driven the baseline, right? And so he's got to he's still got to keep it. And there are lots of little things. And this is going to be one of those games where little things make a huge difference. And um, against a, a veteran team with um, in, a, in, a, in a difficult place to play and what's probably going to be a game in the in the 60s. Well, and you remember, last time they went there a year ago was probably the most embarrassing game of Tom Izzo's career. I take that back. The Iowa game last year was. That game was just as embarrassing. I think they finished with 37 points, but they were also coming off that 20-day COVID pause. Um, so, you know, maybe not necessarily as embarrassing as the the, the loss that they had at home to, to Iowa, but it definitely is one going to stick in their minds. And, you know, whether or not you want to call it a, an avenged, avenge game or revenge game or an atonement game, whatever it is, I mean, you know, that's something that they've got to keep in mind. And, you know, like you said, I mean, it's a tough place to play. I mean, say, and I said that earlier. I said that I asked Izzo about that on Monday, you know, two tough environments, the Xfinity Center and the Rack. And, you know, you think a couple of years ago how tough it was for Michigan State to go to the rack and play some of those games. I mean, it's, you know, that was, you know, that was the Final Four team. They had, a, they, they had some grinds there. So this is, this is where I think that resolve that they've been building needs to kind of show. And, and I think, you know, it, it, they need to look a little more like the team that, they, that beat Michigan than the one that, and the one that beat Wisconsin than, than the one that struggled uh, in that Maryland game. Before we record again, they will also have a home game on Tuesday against Indiana. And uh, speaking of home, home games, I wouldn't be remiss if we didn't at least talk a little bit about the Michigan game on Saturday. That was a uh, – I watched it on the replay after Saturday. That was a very raucous crowd, great energy. I mean, I know they're not getting that every game, but, you know, Michigan brings out the best in everybody, it seems like. And uh, we don't see Breslin bouncing like that too often. Well, define best of. I, I heard some, some things coming from the stands that wouldn't necessarily – normally apply to the word best of but makes it for a very hostile environment let's let's put it that way certainly the best crowd in terms of uh in terms of noise and and influence on the game and, and obviously they haven't had any home crowds last year but since that march 8th 2020 ohio state crowd and so it, and, and 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 it probably felt even more pronounced just because it's been a while since we've heard a crowd like that. And so you, you remember what it's like and the influence and that to be fair to Michigan state's team and their inability to put people away at home, you know, part of the reason the crowd hasn't sounded like that is MSU hasn't put people away at home. But part of the reason MSU probably hasn't put people away at home is the crowd hasn't sounded like that. It's sort of, it's sort of both things. So yeah. It's, Catch it's, Marty Sissoko, if you will, because he wears number 22. What do you want? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. I didn't, I didn't back I didn't back either up right away. I didn't get it at first. That's just a fail on our part. <laughs> oh, well, well, before we talk football briefly here, let's get your guys' predictions for Saturdays and Tuesdays games. Graham, you know I like Michigan State to win this game. Weirdly, it's a tough place to play. It's a hard. I, I just think I think they've got enough talent. A little more talent. Rutgers hasn't been as good as is um, you know as good as they've necessarily. I expected them even to be this year. I don't know. I, I think. For whatever reason, this is my gut feel. I think MSU is going to find a way to win this game, and uh, and I think in some ways they're they're better off on the road because they play with an edge. And Tuesday against Wisconsin, 
you know, I, I think matchup wise, the there's that, that's a good fit. I think they'll they'll um, you know we saw that game once. I, I think I think they'll play well. Yeah, and you know I think this is this is going to be tougher than maybe people think, just because Rutgers is a veteran team and they're at home, much like the, the what we saw with the T-shirt game and Vegas night down in uh, College Park. This is going to be Christmas, the Super Bowl a week early, and you know the Fourth of July and Christmas and whatever other holidays are are celebrated in Piscataway uh, when, when Michigan state comes to town. So, I mean, the energy is going to be there. The difficulty is going to be there. Like I said, this has got to be a game for resolve. I think Michigan state, you know, are they going to be able to pull this one out? It wouldn't surprise me if they lose. Um, but I, I think this one's going to be a little bit bitter, a little bit bigger of a test of the, of, of what uh, they've been dealing with uh, in terms of building consistency, building leadership and building resolve. Uh, just simply because it's going to be a little more loud and a lot more of a veteran presence. I think I said they played in. I think I said twice in this podcast that they play Indiana on Tuesday. They play Indiana next Saturday, and like Graham said, Wisconsin on Tuesday. So sorry, sorry to our beloved listeners there for me getting the schedule screwed up there. But uh, all right, well let's talk a little football here. And let's just start with the signing day. The, the, in the actual signing day process, there wasn't uh, well, there wasn't anything going on. There, at least there wasn't a coach interviewing for an NFL job. At least when it comes to Michigan State, so they have to worry about that. But uh, no, no signings today, Chris. I don't think that was much of a surprise. Or no signings on Wednesday. I mean, that wasn't much of a surprise. Yeah, I mean, the Amir Speed signing was the only thing. Something that we already knew. Uh, transfer from Georgia. Um, in fact, what the bigger issue, the bigger things that were that came up were two commitments uh, with Jonathan Slack, the offensive lineman from yep. MLK and uh, Alex DePape from Iowa, uh, four-star defensive end committing for the 2023 class. So you're kind of, I think that was kind of almost in some ways a message sender saying we're looking ahead now towards the next step. And which is, I believe their little catch line with the numbers two and three in it. Um, so and I, I don't think I, everything is done with intent in Mel Tucker's program, and I think the fact that they got and announced those two kids on that on signing day was done with intent. Look, it's not really signing day anymore. A lot of people made fun of Harbaugh, right? Yeah. It's not signing day, which is great. It's college basketball season. It, it's, it's football needs to get out of the way. It's college basketball season. It's February, and I love that we're not pretending to care about college football in the first week of February anymore. However, that said. Um, I, I do think you know it is interesting the momentum of the of the the, the, the four star commitments they have now have three of them for two thousand and four in the top four hundred rankings. I, I think you know this two thousand twenty three class is you know in the look it's early. Some kids may decommit. Who knows what the class actually looks like? But the momentum of it early, this has a chance. I, I think you know I said the over under was seven maybe on four stars. I think this has a chance to be a, a class that really sort of sets the table and sets the tone. Um, for what Mel, a Mel Tucker class could look like, and taking advantage of um, those, uh, you know, th- those uh, that eleven and two season. Yeah, I think the only recruit that still might have been on the table was uh, a four-star running back named Trevante Citizen. But then once Jarek Broussard, the transfer from Colorado, committed on Saturday, that probably wiped out any chance of that happening. And I'm sure Michigan State probably knew that Citizen wasn't coming to Michigan State anyway, so that kind of led to that. But let me talk about Broussard here a second. Another running back. This is uh, this is a very crowded running back room, Chris. This is uh, it, it, are we? Are, is he just kind of 
just get in as many people as possible and hope somebody sticks? Or what's what's the plan here with with Berger and Brassard and everybody else? We'll see. I mean, they they, they brought in two last year, so you know, with with uh, Kenneth Walker and Harold Joyner, so that it's adding depth, it's adding competition. I think that's uh, you know, and find it and sift through it and see who's going to be the guy to elevate themselves. It's just hard to know. I mean, Broussard is, is somewhat proven, right? So, yep. and, and if he, but he is not proven. He can stay healthy all the time. You got to have quality there. You got to have depth. They're in different classes. And, um, you know, I don't think they know for sure that they have a guy who's capable of being the man or even a pairing that's capable of being that on campus. So that you had to go out and you knew they were going to get one more, and, and, and they absolutely did. Uh, well, at least it wasn't another receiver. There's only 16 of them on the roster. So, hey. <laughs> Step by step, or something like that. All right, any final thoughts here before we sign off today, guys? No, I'm glad we can squeeze one in. I apologize to people who had travel woes, and then and this made uh, made for an interesting day. Definitely our tidiest podcast. That's 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 for certain. <laughs> All right, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch at Chris Solari. F Phil underscore friend and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.